1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 23. One of my favorite bands is Coldplay. And back in the early 2000s, they burst onto the scene with great songs like Yellow and Clocks. And they've been around ever since. They seem to always manage to remain current, maybe except to the hipsters who are too cool for them. But I guess I'm not one of those. Their rise was swift and phenomenal. Their first two albums both earned Grammys. They quickly made it onto the cover of Rolling Stone and were proclaimed the biggest band in the world. Their second album sold three million copies. Their concerts were selling out all over the world and Chris Martin, their lead singer, married no less than Gwyneth Paltrow. And here's what Martin had to say about it all. And please excuse his blunt rock and roll language. Our society is thoroughly screwed. Fame is a ridiculous waste of time. And celebrity culture is disgusting. That sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul's message to us in today's passage. Here's how I'd summarize today's passage. Celebrity culture is dangerous, especially to the health and well-being of God's people. Personalities are problematic when we coalesce around this leader or follow after that leader. Because the purpose of Christian leaders is just the opposite. Leaders are meant to be servants of all. Of course, we've seen this dramatically portrayed on, on a national scale in the last few years with big name Christian celebrity leaders who many looked up to and followed as one after another they fell, tragically. Bill Hybels, Robbie Zacharias, Mark Driscoll, a lot of us listen to the sobering viral podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. But it's not just because celebrity leaders can fall and too often do fall because we've set them up to fall that celebrity culture is dangerous. Celebrity culture is also dangerous because celebrities are happily leading and influencing us from the top of the world instead of from the bottom. We'll see why this is a problem in today's passage. But first, let me ask you, who are your favorite Christian personalities? Beth Moore, Joyce Myers, Mark Batterson, Phil Wickham. We're going back to an older generation, James Dobson, Tim LaHaye. Or if you're more intellectual or theologically astute, what about John Calvin, C.S. Lewis, Wayne Grudem? Not to say there's anything wrong with these people or that we can't appreciate them and learn a lot from them, but the Apostle Paul in today's passage warns us against making such people, making anyone into a celebrity or gathering around certain leaders or certain big personalities and saying, I belong to them or I belong to their theology or I belong to their approach. That's what all of chapter 3 is about. And Paul sums it up clearly in verse 21. This is from the New International Version translation. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. And the Greek word Paul uses here that's translated boasting, it's hard to translate with just one word because it can also be translated rejoicing in or celebrating or taking pride in. And the idea isn't so much just bragging, but also gathering around, talking up, idolizing. Basically turning someone into a celebrity. 
or forming a party or a faction around someone. No more, Paul says. Stop doing that. The Corinthians were doing this exact thing, saying back in verse 4, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos. They were rallying around certain personalities and it was leading to disunity and strife among them. And Paul is pulling his hair out about it because this is nothing like what Christian leadership is meant to be. Paul did not become a Christian leader so that people would make him a celebrity or rally around him or against other people because of him or lift him up as someone special. No, as we saw last Sunday, Paul says in verse 5, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Only servants. So that's today's key biblical truth. According to scripture, leaders are servants, not celebrities. Paul continues to explain in verse 6, I came simply planting seeds, working as a farmer in God's field. And Apollos came after me and watered those seeds. We were just doing a job. And, and God will reward us if we did it well. But please do not, do not make us into anything special. And above all, don't start fighting about which of us you want to follow. Well, in today's passage, Paul gives us four reasons for us not to do this. Four reasons not to make any leader a celebrity or to rally around them in this way. His first reason is this. We are God's sacred temple. We are, all of us, together. Now, if you've been around church a while, you've, you've, you've heard this before, probably a lot of times. We are God's temple, right? God's spirit dwells in us. But I think we, we don't even realize, maybe because we're not too familiar with temples, how significant, how amazing, and how earth-shattering the statement is. We are God's temple. Think about what a temple is. It's a palace, it's a residence for God. We together, as a community, with our relationships, we are the place on earth that God chooses to live and to be. Wow! To get your mind around this, think about the amazing temple that King Solomon built for God in the Old Testament. It was made of huge, finely finished, fine stones, and made with the best cedar wood. It was plated with gold. It was decorated with precious stones. And it's one thing to read about it, but have you ever been in a huge building like that? Made with luxurious polished stone, maybe marble or granite, maybe one of the great churches of Europe, maybe a Capitol building, maybe even a great museum hall in New York. The feeling you get, the experience that you have, it has to be experienced to grasp what it feels like. Then add to that the gold and the ornate artwork and the rich tapestries and the jewels and the gems and all for what purpose? Well, in the case of Solomon's temple, it was to show the grandeur of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God, because God is resident, God dwells in this building. And of course, that means the building is sacred. You can't just tramp into it with your muddy boots. 
You, you have to enter with respect and with honor and in the way God has set out. You have to follow the protocol. Often with a sacrifice, with a gift, after cleansing yourself, because the place is holy. It's actually dangerous to enter with sin on your hands. And you may know some of the biblical stories, the harrowing ones, where God's holiness struck people down who were presumptuous to enter in an unworthy manner. But also, if you stand back from the, the physical structure of the temple and you think again about what a temple is, a place for God's presence, a temple is the place on earth where heaven meets earth where heaven and earth overlap. Typically, we picture heaven as up there somewhere, right? Because for ancient people, before rocket ships, before airplanes, up there was unreachable. The closest you, you could get was to climb a tall mountain, and often temples were built on the top of mountains. Because heaven, God's realm, is a distinct realm that we don't have access to. In modern terms, we now realize heaven is not so much up there as it is in a different dimension. All around us and through us, but we can't access it. We can't reach it. We can barely even understand it or experience it. We certainly can't enter it. We live in the physical world, but the realm of heaven is spiritual. Yet the Bible tells us that in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, heaven overlapped with earth. The Garden of Eden was, like, was likely on a mountain, and it was a place that God walked and met with humans. Heaven and earth overlapped there. God was present and accessible, and so were all of God's blessings. God's wisdom, God's healing and protection were all accessible. It was heaven on earth. And yet, and ever since, temples have been Garden of Eden type places like portals where there was access to heaven where the veil, the divider between heaven and earth is thin and it's porous where heaven is close by and to some extent it can be experienced and tasted and touched or maybe better we can be touched by it why? Because God and God's presence and God's kingdom are there in those places. And so when the Apostle Paul says, you together are God's temple, that should absolutely blow us away. You and you and you and me, we are God's temple. We are the place when we gather together when we are together in relationship where heaven and earth meet. We are the place where God is present and the blessings and the delights of heaven are most available. That's a lot to live up to. Do you realize what, that what Paul is saying is that if anyone in the world longs to get close to heaven and wants to get near to God, the place they need to go to do that is to find a gathering, a group of us. What a responsibility. What a privilege. What a blessing. What an honor. 
So much so that Paul warns, verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. To attack or deface God's temple, God's house, is to attack or insult God. To destroy God's house, God's palace, is to attack God, and we are God's temple, Paul says. So this is a warning to everyone, be very careful. Don't hurt, don't damage, don't destroy God's people. Their faith, their unity, their relational health and fabric, because they are sacred. And if you destroy them, God will destroy you. This is a warning that Paul's giving to those in the Corinthian church who were stirring up trouble, stirring up quarreling in their arrogance. It's a warning to leaders, whether official leaders or would-be influencers or rabble-rousers. Earlier, Paul made allowance for leaders to be less than perfect, thank God. Back in verses 12 to 15, we looked at it last Sunday. Sarah read it again this morning. Paul said, the work of every leader will be judged as if put through the fire. And he uses the analogy of building materials. If, if you're a leader and you're building God's temple, you're building up God's people with gold and precious stones, you'll be rewarded. But if you build with straw and sticks, it will all burn and you'll suffer loss. But then Paul adds, if it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved as though only as one escaping through the flames. Phew, that's the good news. <laughs> At least as a leader, if you mess up, you can still be saved even though your work is shoddy and may come to nothing. But now Paul says, that's maybe true if you're careless or lazy or you're a bit off focus. But what if you're just arrogant and you're selfish and you don't understand the way of Christ and you wind up destroying God's people? Watch out, Paul warns. God will destroy you. That's a heavy warning. And it's the first reason there's no place among God's people for leadership to be about celebrity or, or letting a, a party or a faction form around you. Because we all together are God's temple. All of us together is what's important, not us as leaders. Sure, leadership is important, but we leaders, we only exist to serve God by building up his people. By building up his people. And so we follow our leaders, we cooperate with their work when they are serving us by trying to build us up. Boy, I've had to remember this and had to remember what my role is as a leader because I have great ideas. <laughs> but when my ideas and my visions and my plans become more important to me than your well-being, I am in a dangerous place. And if I get frustrated with you and I stop loving you because you're not cooperating well enough with my agenda, I'm in a dangerous place. All right, second reason not to make any leader a celebrity or to rally around specific leaders. Second reason to remember that leaders are servants, not celebrities. 
And that is that we, as God's people, are the heirs of everything. Not only God's temple, or we are not only God's temple, we are also God's kids. So we're rich. We're going to inherit everything. Do you realize that's what we're looking forward to? Verse 21, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. What Paul is doing here is flipping on its head the way the Corinthians have been thinking and talking. They've been saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. That's the way the NIV translates it at least. But literally the Corinthians are saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, which probably means I belong to Paul, I belong to Apollos. And Paul says, oh yeah? No, it's just the opposite. You don't belong to these leaders. No, they belong to you. Paul belongs to you. Apollos and Cephas are yours. In fact, everything is yours. The whole world. Life is yours. Death is yours. Meaning, you don't need to be afraid of it. It's been conquered in your case. The present is yours. The future is yours. All is yours. You are the heir of everything. You know why? Because you belong to Jesus. And Jesus belongs to God. And Jesus has conquered everything. And he is Lord of all. God made him that. So Jesus owns everything along with God. And they are going to share it all with you, their children. Do you realize that the whole world belongs to us? We're destined to inherit it. And any extent to which we don't own it yet is just a matter of waiting for God's kingdom to fully come. And in the meantime, as we wait, we stand on the edge of an amazing eternity. Boy, if we could get a hold of this fact, it would change our whole lives. When I was a kid, I grew up out in the country in, a, in farm country, and about 30 minutes from us was Scranton, the, the closest decent-sized city. And um, on our side of Scranton, about 20 minutes away from us, was a fancy suburb called Abington. And all the doctors and the lawyers and the orthodontists lived there. And um, Abington had a reputation for being really snooty and really arrogant. They were too good for the rest of us country folks. Because they were wealthy, they were professional, they were important, they had arrived. Well, you know, living here now in Westchester County, getting to know the people here, those people I grew up in, in Abington were way more snooty than people here, which in some cases is saying a lot. Um, but you know why I think that is? You know why I think the people of Abington were more snooty? Because people here are far more wealthy they have jobs that are far more important than those people in Abington. And I think in Westchester, we know we've arrived. We're more secure in it. And so we don't feel the need to prove it like they did in Abington. 
We're, we're used to wealth. We're used to rubbing shoulders with people who have influence. So we kind of take it for granted, some of us anyway. So maybe we don't need to turn up our noses at people who haven't arrived like we have. Well, I think the Corinthians were like the people of Abington, spiritually speaking. They weren't secure yet in all they had. They didn't fully realize who they were or, or what they had as God's children. And so they were insecure, and in their insecurity, they were looking for ways to feel better about themselves, to feel important, to feel validated. And so they were gathering around big personalities, finding their status, their self-worth maybe in those people. They were, they were making leaders into celebrities because those leaders were gifted speakers or were profoundly wise or smart or educated because remember in that culture, that's what at Corinth at that time, what they valued. And so they'd say, I'm with this celebrity or I'm with that celebrity. And Paul's like, that's so unnecessary. Don't you realize who you are and what you have? You don't need to belong to this leader or to that leader because everything belongs to you. You're the heir of the whole world. You have nothing to prove. And these leaders you're gathering around, you're siding with this one or that one, guess what? They all belong to you too. I, Paul, belong to you. Apollos belongs to you. We're no one special. We're just servants that God has sent you and given you so that we can help you know God better. So stop making us into anyone special. No Christian leader is anything special. I'm not. Your favorite Christian celebrity isn't. Sure, we're each special. God has made us unique. He's given us gifts. But we're just servants given by Jesus with our gifts to the church, to God's people, so you can grow and be built up. Third reason, not to make any leader a celebrity or rally around them. Third reason that leadership is about servanthood and not celebrity. And that is that celebrity is foolish to God. Chris Martin was right. Celebrity culture is disgusting. God agrees. <laughs> Remember, we, we talked three weeks ago about uh, cha uh, chapter one and the big game of King of the Mountain that the world is playing. And celebrity is one way we crown and we celebrate those who get to the top of the mountain. And remember two weeks ago, we looked at chapter two and we saw how through dying on a cross in shame and in utter defeat and weakness, as an utter scandal to the world of that day, Jesus turned the world right side up by turning it upside down. To God, lifting anyone up as a celebrity is utter foolishness. And that's what Paul comes back to and reminds us of in verses 18 to 23. And here's where we realize that chapters 1 to 3 and 4, which we're going to look at starting next week, have all been and are just one long argument driving at the same point. Listen to verse 18. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. That's what the cross shows, right? 
that the wisdom of this world, the idea of pushing your agenda and having big influence and climbing to the top, it's really foolishness. What's God's way? Well, it's found in a cross, which, remember, in that culture was an utter scandal, a defeat, a failure, a foolish, pitiful, shameful, horrid weakness. And yet God says it's wisdom because it's about servanthood. It's about self-giving love. And it's that kind of unassuming humility and that kind of servanthood and that kind of tangible love that's going to win in the end. I'll make sure of it. And that's the way the kingdom of God comes. So Paul continues by way of application. Verse 21. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. And you know, the greatest Christian leaders have always known this. Just to take one example, who's had a greater impact on the world for Jesus than someone like the missionary Hudson Taylor, who saw incredible miraculous answers to prayer, who was instrumental in seeing so many people in China come to follow Jesus and so many people go to China to share Jesus. And here's what Taylor once said about his success. It seemed to me that God looked over the whole world and found a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when he at last found me, he said, he's weak enough, he'll do. Which brings us finally to Paul's fourth reason not to make a leader a celebrity or to rally around a personality. The fourth reason that leaders are servants and not celebrities. Because of verse 11, and this is the temple metaphor here again, we are together God's temple, and various Christian leaders are helping to build us up. So verse 11, for no one, no leader, can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. And the foundation sets the blueprint sets the floor plan, sets the shape for the whole building. My wife Anne grew up in a, in a church whose building had one of those classic traditional church architectures. It had apses and naves and transepts, maybe even a narthex. And, and what was, what's the shape of such buildings? Well, if you look at them from above, they are in the shape of the cross, right? The altar in the apse is at the top of the cross. The transepts are the crossbars. And most of the people sit in the long nave. And if the foundation of such a building is meant to be cross-shaped, is set up as cross-shaped, then the building is meant to be cross-shaped from above, right? <laughs> You build on the foundation, and if any builder is trying to build a building that doesn't line up with the shape of the foundation, then that builder is out of line, and that builder has gone rogue. So let's go with the metaphor. If Christian leaders are building God's temple, and we together are that temple, and we as God's people need to grow, need to mature, need to be built up. We need to be fitted together in unity. And if our foundation is the shape of the cross, because our foundation is Jesus, then what better the rest of the temple look like? 
It better look like Jesus, right? It better be cross-shaped too. And so sure, we need leaders to help us accomplish that. And we leaders, we build and we construct, but we are not building anything in the shape of us or after our style or for our glory. No, we are only servants. And the only, or we're only rather workers for God building his temple. And we have our foundation, we have our blueprint, and it's in the shape of a cross. And so none of us can be celebrities. And none of us are even in charge ultimately. Because we already have a celebrity. We already have one Lord who's in charge. And it's, I'm not talking figuratively here. This isn't just some nice theological thought. No, Jesus is literally in charge of this church and every church. He's literally the leader. He's the celebrity and he gets the glory. And so we better all listen to him by reading his word, by prayerfully and mutual submission to one another, discerning his heart and his priorities and his leading. And it all starts and it ends with a cross, with self-giving acts of love and putting others before ourselves. And as leaders, that's how we're to lead. We're not celebrities. It's not about us. We're servants. And you know, in local churches like CBC, we're small, right? We're relatively unknown. We don't have a huge social media following or anything like that. But we can have our own local celebrities, uh, nonetheless, if we're not careful. A pastor like me can be a local celebrity, um, it, or other leaders can be too. And, and we could rally around this leader or that leader and form parties or factions or fan clubs. We could lift up our leaders. But that's what the Corinthians were doing, and it's leading to disunity. And Paul says, no. Jesus Christ, he's the only one, no one else, and his way is the way of the cross. It's the way of servanthood, it's the way of humility, and it's the way of many small, unassuming acts of love. So may we be built on those. Let's pray. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you for showing us the way of the cross. I think in the upper room, you knew you had come from God and God had put everything into your hands. You could have conquered the whole world right then, but that knowledge led you instead to take up a towel and a bowl and to wash the feet of your friends and your enemies and say, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have done this, you should do it for one another because that's the shape my kingdom is built on. God, help us all and help us as leaders to grow into that heart and to serve and to love well. We need your grace to do it and we're so thankful for your cross where you have poured out abundant, abundant grace on all of us. Amen.